Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Eye-popping investments in cultivated meat of $161 million, $7.4 million, and $3.5 million in the past year may sound like astronomical sums, but according to industry stakeholders, they're not, nor are they enough when compared to the market potential for animal-free meat, poultry, and seafood, or the opportunity to revolutionize the world's food system. According to market research by A.T. Kearney, which some view as aggressive, cultured meat could account for 10% of the $1.4 trillion global meat market by 2030, and a whopping 35% of the predicted $1.8 trillion global meat market 10 years later. This would push down conventional animal protein market's share to 40%, with plant-based accounting for 25%. But before this segment can reach these ambitious targets, it needs to overcome significant hurdles to lower production costs, drastically cut the price point for consumers, and efficiently scale production to meet predicted demand. Doing this will require, you guessed it, more money, especially in the B2B companies that support B2C companies by producing the equipment, inputs, and other elements they need to create finished products. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, we look at the rapid evolution of the cultured meat segment and what it will take for it to overcome significant technological and scientific challenges to scaling and reach its full potential. Executives with Future Meat Technologies and Cellular Evolution share how they're developing solutions to help finished product manufacturers ramp up production and bring down prices. In addition, a managing partner at Unovis Asset Management shares how the investment community is evaluating the space and estimate a timeline for development and where more money is needed to bring cultivated meat to the masses. So after years of facing derision and disbelief, scientific and technological challenges, and a desperate fundraising gap despite huge investments, the tide finally seems to be turning for cultivated meat. Late last year, cultivated chicken appeared for the first time on restaurant menus in Israel and Singapore, not just as a novel item for the rich and famous, but as a viable, sustainable, and ethical option for everyday people. For Mark Langley, a managing partner at the alternative protein-focused investment group, Unovis Asset Management, these developments are the fulfillment of a prophecy made more than a hundred years ago that promises even greater opportunity and returns in the coming years. You know, we're on the cusp of the deepest, fastest, most consequential disruption in food and agriculture production since we first domesticated plants and animals 10,000 years ago. This is a remarkable time to be in this field. So these advances are manifested in three different alt-protein industries, plant-based foods, fermentation foods, and cultivated meat. And in cultivated meat, we, we are seeing uh, what was first foreseen in 1894 when a professor claimed that we would be manufacturing meat by the year 2000. And that was amazingly prophetic. So around 2000s, we first saw meat cultivation start to appear in labs 
New Harvest was founded in 2014. Then the genie really came out of the bottle. Langley notes that now about 80 companies play in the alternative protein space, with more than 40 focused on cultivated meat, a ratio he sees as promising, even if he says it's too early to know the real size of the prize. A.T. Kearney says cultivated meat is going to displace 10% of the conventional meat industry in 10 years. But if you look at the plant-based meat industry, it's been around for about 10 years in a truly meaningful way. And, and I mean that in a marketing sense. And, and it's only captured about 1% of the conventional meat industry. With cultivated meat, we're at 0% share today. And this industry has some, some non-trivial scientific and technical challenges that plant-based industry doesn't. So I think the AT Kearney numbers are aggressive, but I'm very optimistic. And I'm optimistic because when you look at cultivated meat, you, you, you really define meat by uh, meat similarity by the degree to which the organoleptic profile and nutritional makeup of the substitutes match that of conventional meat. And nothing comes closer to conventional meat in that regard than cultivated meat. So I think it's an enormous market opportunity, but I still think it's too early to try to attach, uh, you know, point precision in the uh, market estimates, precise numbers in the market estimates. Even without a clear picture of cultivated meat's full market potential, Langley and other investors have eagerly poured billions of dollars into the segment, including $60 million in cell-based seafood startup Blue Nalo announced this month, which followed a $3.55 million investment last year in UC Davis to investigate the long-term viability of cell-cultured meat, and a $7.4 million investment in a Japanese cell-cultured meat company to commercialize faux gras this year plus a whopping $161 million in Memphis Meats to build a new cell-based platform, in addition to many other high-dollar deals. While these amounts may raise eyebrows given Cultured Meats' ambiguous payday and timeline, Langley says the investments are small compared to the potential returns and impact. First, to get some perspective on just how much money we're talking about, about two and a half years ago, I looked at the amount of money that had been invested in the cultivated meat space. And it was on the order of $50 million, uh, closer to three years ago now. And I went to Zillow.com and looked for apartments in New York City, and I found that five apartments in New York City were selling for more than $50 million. So to get some perspective, you could buy a nice apartment in New York City, or you could revolutionize the world's food system that's not that much money to revolutionize a global food system. That really put this in perspective for us. This is a 1.4, depending on which numbers you look at, a 1.4, 1.7, or 2. Point, uh, I think 2.3 is the largest number I've seen, trillion-dollar global food market. This is an enormous change in the way we are producing foods, and I can't underscore just how important this is and how little money is being invested in this this landscape change, this, this change to the landscape here. So it's helpful to keep it in perspective and to, uh, for, for listeners, whether they be investors or entrepreneurs, to understand just how dramatic this change is going to be to our food system. We can't feed a planet of 
10 billion people in 2050 the way we're eating now. This is one of the key solutions to that challenge. As passionate as Langley is, he isn't naive and says he's going in with his eyes open to the challenges ahead for the industry. There's four general science and technology challenges that need to be overcome to make this really a commercial reality. And those are cell lines, cell culture media, large-scale bioreactors, and scaffolds. Each of these carries very different challenges. While these challenges are daunting, innovative companies are rapidly developing solutions. For example, Matrix Meat's approach to scaffolding recently attracted Langley and others to invest in a deal announced this month. Langley explains why he's prioritizing scaffolds out of the four main challenges he sees and what attracted him to Matrix Meats specifically. We've been looking at scaffolds for a while. We saw another scaffold company and looked at them for a while, but they weren't getting any traction. They had some technical challenges. So when we saw this company, we were pretty excited by it. Uh, We think that Matrix Meats can solve that scaffold challenge. The holy grail of cultivated meats is whole cuts of meats, and scaffolds are leading the path forward there. And this firm can also sell microcarriers for mincemeat, but we're really focused on the cultivated meat path. So what we saw in Matrix Meats was a company at the earliest possible stage of investment in a heavily de-risked startup because it's a spin-out of a larger company that does this work and has been doing this work for more than 10 years. So we, we caught them as they were planning their shift to um, move into this space, and we think it's uniquely positioned to serve their portfolio, the, their, their customer base with you know, the uh, portfolio of patents from the parent company that have been licensed to this company for food applications. So it's packaged as a startup, but it's not really a startup in the traditional sense. The uh, questions that we fielded from institutional investors showed that they were, being, they were viewing the company as a startup when these de-risking steps are, are you know, already heavily discounted. So as the company continues to progress and as more and more investors become comfortable in investing in cultivated meat, we think the capital invested will follow the pattern of other innovative food tech groups, and uh, we will uh, be the beneficiary of that. In addition to scaffolding for the cultivated meat industry to pull off investor expectations, it also will need large-scale, efficient bioreactors and effective, inexpensive media to produce sufficient cells at a price point that's palpable for consumers. With the help of a recently closed £1 million fundraise that will be announced this week, UK-based Cellular Revolution is rising to meet these challenges by creating a bioreactor capable of serum-free, continuous production of adherent cells, which co-founder Leo Hunavehan explains the company's technology will help lower the cost of production and increase the yield so that finished products can more quickly find its way to mainstream consumers' plates. So we developed um, proprietary technologies that actually allows for an entirely novel type of way that cells are cultured and grown. Um, Generally speaking, People growing cells are doing so in, in batches where you, you know, seed a small amount of cells in a bioreactor or somewhere else. You uh, feed them with nutrients, a uh, media mixture, and then after a few weeks, for example, you take it all out of your bioreactor, you clean it, and you start this whole process again. 
So what we're doing different is we, we sort of like to say we are bio-inspired. So we took a look at nature. In nature, if you look at the human body or at the animal bodies, cells are not growing in batches. It's not like you wake up tomorrow and you have 10 million cells available to do whatever they need to do. But actually, inside of your body, inside of an animal's body, cells are growing continuously, and they, you know, they grow and they get to work. They grow, they get to work. So there's this continuous cycle of cells being developed, growing, and doing what they need to do. So our technology and our bioreactor works the same way. So as opposed to having, for example, say, 10 million cells coming out of your batch process every week, we're saying a, a random number, we actually have a cycle where, in a continuous fashion, cells are being produced. So we have cells pro proliferating, growing, and coming out of our bioreactor continuously. Um, a good way to sort of visualize that is to look at a sort of a ferry versus a bridge. So again, a bed system is a ferry. You load cars and people on, you ship it across the river, unload it, fill it up again and go back. And every time you have sort of in-between sort of lead time where you get stuck, uh, we are like a bridge basically. We're continuously, you have a steady flow of cars, bicycles and people going across. Um, this, this novel concept of, of growing cells is uh, developed by Cellular Revolution. Uh, we got it patented, uh, at least some bits and pieces of it. And it has shown, so far at least, to have a, a quite a big impact on sort of the, the yield you can, you can get, uh, resource reduction, uh, lowering of cost. And overall, it seems to be um, a much more efficient way of producing cells at scale something which is the main challenge for culture meat companies. It is um, hard to say exactly how much the reduction will be, as this is, in a way, uh, company-specific, based on the, the rest of the sort of production chain. Uh, depends on the cells. And also, in a way, we are uh, still further validating the exact sort of um, consumption or resource consumption parameters of our bioreactor. Um, but the initial test that we have done, for example, which, which doesn't really give you an exact number, is that we used a, um, a six times smaller bioreactor. So you reduce the size of the bioreactor six times, which means you need less space, fewer resources, and spend less money because you need less bioreactors. And we were able to produce more than two times the yield compared to conventional, uh, conventional bioreactor. So that is kind of the number of change you're looking at which is quite a big, uh, which has quite a big impact. Let's say if you want to use current bioreactor technology for a real commercially available culture meat product that is sold globally, then in the end, you basically almost need to cover the world in bioreactors. Uh, but so you need more efficient ways of producing. Uh, one way is switching to a continuous system because the output and the yield is so much higher. Um, you need fewer bioreactors or you need fewer square meters of bioreactor space. So you can produce more cells using less space, using fewer resources. So, so it has a few different impacts, like higher yield, again. You need less space because of smaller bioreactors, which is good, meaning because they're smaller, you need fewer resources. So yeah, you need less media, you need less other sort of ingredients. And uh, that all adds up, of course, especially when going to larger and larger scale production, the incremental sort of difference becomes uh, only bigger. A key component of Cellular Revolution's more efficient bioreactors are novel peptide coatings that it created to automate production and increase cell proliferation. 
These also address another of the four key challenges laid out by Langley, which is efficient and cost-effective media. And the bioreactor is our main. Uh, it's going to be our main product. Um, the peptide-based coating that we've developed is a coating that allows for increased cell proliferation in um, serum-free conditions. Generally speaking, when you take serum FPS out of your sort of cell culturing uh, system, so out of your media, then normally the proliferation of cells decreases because, of course, all the cells prefer to eat FPS, basically. That's the preferred source of nutrients and everything. Um, our coating does two things. So it can increase cell growth and proliferation after you reduce, after you take out the serum, for example. So you reduce the serum, the serum either to zero or to one or to five percent, whatever you're looking at. By adding our coating to that, you can get your proliferation rate up significantly. Um, so that's quite important for many companies because they see, okay, we're taking out serum in the R&D efforts. Now what? Our cells are not growing. They're not proliferating fast and, and well enough. Well, apply our coating and your, your rates will go up higher. Um, the second part of the coating, actually, which is the dynamic coating, is the one, one part of our coating, actually, signals to the cells, basically when they're fully grown, when they're ready to be harvested, to detach. So a cell sitting on the surface is growing. Normally speaking, again, in a bed system, you need to cleave them with, with a trypsin and another chemical to make them sort of manually release. Our coating actually signals to the cells when they're ready to self-detach. And that allows for a very clean and easy cell uh, harvesting process. So, so the, the dynamic coating, the one that I mentioned a second, is, is then also, of course, an integrated part of our bioreactor system. So by con- combining a novel design bioreactor with this sort of dynamic coating that can tell cells to detach, this is how we can really create a truly sort of continuous uh, production cycle with cells. So continuously you know, attaching, growing, proliferating, and then, of course, being able to detach, self-detach, and being harvested. And then when those spots open up of the cells that are detaching, new cells will automatically take those empty spots, and they will grow and proliferate, self-detach. And this cycle keeps on going. And it really is um, its amazing to see. The investors behind the £1 million fundraise that Cellular Revolution will announce this week also will connect the company with other portfolio players that could become customers, creating a potentially robust business pipeline. Uh, we have now just completed a, uh, a round as well, uh, actually just a few weeks ago, in which we raised uh, £1 million. And that is really a capital that will allow us to you know, further grow and develop the team, the business, and our products. Um, we have a prototype by reactor up and running in the lab. Of course, we need to go from prototype to first sort of MVP, uh, and that requires you know more testing, more prototypes. Uh, it's quite, of course, a, a capital-intensive kind of work by uh, using the scientists, running the labs, and really, really growing the team into a full-fledged uh, business. Uh, we have some key investors there. Um, we have Newcastle slash UK-based uh, North Star Ventures, who also was in our pre-seed round. Uh, they are investing from their own funds and, and some of the university funds. Uh, interesting to note is also that CPT Capital uh, has invested in our company as well. They are one of the larger, or largest maybe, um, investors in the culture meat space and have uh, many, I think they have between 10 and 15 uh, investments in the culture space uh, so far. 
for us strategic investors like CPT Capital that actually have uh, a portfolio of potential for us potential customers because you know they have invested in a lot of the B2C companies but also of course their expertise in the space their networks can be very very valuable for us as a company to develop further. Like Cellular Revolution, Israel-based Future Meat Technologies sees cultivated meat as a solution to feed the masses, which is why it's prioritized reducing the cost of its cultured chicken breast to eight fifty per patty by developing a line of GMO-free animal cells that grow indefinitely without animal-derived components and a cost-effective, sustainable bioreactor. The company's announcement today that it has lowered the production cost of its cultured chicken breast to single digits while maintaining the same texture and aroma of a farm-raised chicken, beat market expectations. Its rapid progress also likely helped it raise an additional $26.7 million in funding, which will help it scale production to bring its product to consumers within 18 months. Future Meat Technologies CEO Ram Kushka explains creating cost parity for cultivated meat compared to that from animals is extremely difficult, because most animal agriculture is subsidized by the government, which he argues has artificially lowered the price point for consumers. But, he adds, cost parity is essential for consumer adoption and for cultivated meat to deliver on its promised environmental and nutritional impact. We have made significant leaps ahead in getting the cost down. And for us, this is really about getting to a quality commercially viable area in the end of the day, this is not only an academic exercise of finding the best, getting to the, the lowest price uh, with, you know, the lowest effort or something like that. We need to get to a point that consumers would say, okay, I'm willing to pay that. And, and, and it's not only as a first try, but I'm willing to pay that in repeat purchase to see, you know, kind of uh, um, um, significant sale rates and, you know, the, the product would deliver on a promise and people would be willing to pay for it. So obviously we're not there yet, but we're getting there. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that we've made significant achievements in the last few months. And currently we've achieved the point that puts us ahead of the competition, which basically is we're at less than $10 per patty. Um, and that's significant news because this is, you know, uh, getting clo- very close to uh, uh, the commercially viable area. Now, I completely understand that uh, $8 per patty is super premium and even $5 per patty is super premium, but it's getting there. It's getting closer. And that's exactly our plan is to get the cost down to what are the, to the to the standard pr- uh, prices that we see today in the market in the next couple of years, and I think that's achievable, feasible, and we can get there, and we can deliver great taste and experience with that. Getting to this point has required Future Meat Technologies to reduce the cost of its culturing cells by first selecting efficient cell lines, second by optimizing their feeding regime and finally by blending cultured meat with plant-based ingredients. We've been at it for a long time in really understanding and analyzing what are the drivers in, uh, uh, as far as the cost of culturing cells. So it starts from, as I already mentioned, kind of 
finding and choosing as a sales source uh, the most efficient sales lines. It continues to really optimizing our uh, feeding regime or the media formulation, if you want to call it, basically having the best nutrients that have the lowest cost that can deliver the highest impact. In the end of the day, I see this as kind of a standard agriculture problem. This is where the farmers, and we have a cornfield, and what we're trying to do in the cornfield is to get the fertilizers or the input level as low as possible and to get the yield as high as possible, okay? And, and that's kind of, kind of the, the game here, and that's exactly what we're trying to do here. So we don't have a field, obviously it's bioreactors, and we don't, the fertilizers are the nutrient media for cells, and obviously the, the corn is the cells themselves. But, but that's kind of the same agriculture problem. This is what we're trying to do here. We're optimizing the biology to do that, which is kind of similar to breeding. And, and it's important to say here that our cells are non-GMO. Um, we're optimizing the process in the way in, in our regime of uh, delivering nutrients. We're optimizing the equipment to do that. And this is kind of what enables us to achieve a price that is significantly lower and getting closer and closer to prosperity. Now, that's one side. The other side of that is obviously we're focusing on what we call a low-hanging fruit, basically combining plant-based and cultured meat ingredients together, okay? Um, we're not saying that this is 100% cultured meat. And frankly, I think that nobody uses 100% cultured meat right now. Uh, I think that everyone in this industry has been using plant-based ingredients and it's important and it's the right uh, approach to get the market fast, to start interacting with consumers. There is a lot of impact and that we can deliver on the meat experience while combining uh, those different sources. While whole cut pieces are often touted as the holy grail of cultivated meat, Rom argues the industry must also focus on more accessible forms for the masses, such as chicken nuggets, ground burgers, kebabs, and sausages. He also notes that companies must educate consumers on the benefits and legitimacy of cultured meat, because making accessible products will not do any good if mainstream shoppers are frightened or distrustful of the technology behind them. I see future meat technologies in the next two or three years really launching products in at least two territories, getting to the market, other by, through you know, restaurants, food services, small retail stores, um, start interacting with consumers, start getting the message out and attracting and getting some feedback and learning much more about the right consumer experience and learning much more about what's the best product and what consumers are looking for. I do believe that there is a unique opportunity here as far as timing, as far as generation, as far as openness, as far as you know, population understanding of what's the impact of the animal protein industry on the planet. And I think that we need to capitalize on that in a way and if this industry plays it right, and I think there are significant hurdles and challenges with getting that, especially because, you know, this is a unique technology, and we don't want to go back to the days of the, the early days of GMO, where you know scientists thought this is the most amazing in invention, but consumers thought about this and 
asked themselves, I don't want to eat, you know, a corn that had the gene from a fly. That doesn't seem that attractive. So we need to be transparent. We need to communicate that in the right way. We need to explain to consumers what, what, you know, what's in there, what's the process, why it's not different, why it's better, why it makes sense to eat this. This is not, you know, uh, Frankenstein meat or, you know, this is not a scary technology and that's not fake meat. In the end of the day, this can really deliver an impact. Despite the leaps and bounds each of these companies and the industry as a whole have made, the cultured meat space still has a long way to go. And to get there, Cellular Revolutions Leo argues it will need more investment, especially in the B2B companies that support manufacturers of finished products. There's a real need for, for investments, not just in the B2C cultured meat space. I mean, those are, I mean, the many companies in the B2C space that have raised considerable amounts of money. Um, and that's, that's extremely good for the space. Um, but what you'll be seeing is um, that investment into sort of the ecosystem, in those, the sticks and shovels companies, are also extremely important in order to, on a more general level, really push the capabilities and the development of the industry further. And I think that's something that in many industries... Um, sometimes does not get enough attention. Uh, the B2C companies, which are doing excellent work and great work, um, are often the ones um, that are most prolific, of course, getting the most media attention and investment attention. But it's really important to have also solid investments into the B2B businesses in order to make sure that actually the B2C companies can also uh, deliver on what they promise, deliver on the expectations and, and any industry needs a proper B2B business and B2B ecosystem in order to become a real commercial success. And with that call to action, we have reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.